Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. A young mother makes a late-night run to the grocery store and never comes home. The note said, ran to the store, had a great day, see you soon. Her loved ones search for clues, and what they find is alarming. She was obviously not in her right mind, and she kept calling the salon lady mommy. And I just knew there was something wrong. Some take matters into their own hands. I was going to go in his house whether he was going to allow me to or not. He didn't really have a choice. And a disturbing revelation sends the investigation in a new direction. There was text messages. She believed that she was drugged. In case anything happens, was what she said. Each discovery only raises more questions. She saw so many people that have come forward and said, oh, we saw her here, we saw her here. Then from there, where'd she go? And more agony for a family in need of answers. She's always been a mom to me, and we just really want her back. November 3rd, 2015. It's a windy Tuesday evening in Spokane, Washington, a medium-sized city known for its scrappy attitude. 35-year-old Deanne Hastings is having a relaxing night in. Her teenage son Hayden's girlfriend has stopped by for some relationship advice. Me and Hayden were actually going through a big fight at that time, and we were taking a break, and I really needed someone to talk to it about. Deanne provides the comforting shoulder Melanie needs. She seemed actually very heartbroken about it. She saw me as a daughter, and she told me not to worry that Hayden would come to his senses and come back because I was an amazing person and that she'd always be there even if he didn't. Like, I would always have her as a mom. Despite the upheaval in her son's relationship, Deanne's in especially good spirits having completed her first day of cosmetology school at nearby Glendow Academy. She was so excited about it. She told me how her first day went so great, and she loved it, and she was so glad that she finally made the decision. Deanne's always been a passionate person with a natural ability to draw people to her. She was amazing. She was brilliant and talented and fearless. We had an amazing childhood. We had awesome parents. We grew up Pahrump, Nevada. And uh, we would play out in the, in the desert and play games, run around with sticks and catch lizards. And uh, she was 
my nearest friend was five miles away, so it was, uh, she was it. We would go every place together, picnics and hikes and bike rides. We were always a team. The family moved to Spokane when Deanne was in fourth grade. The transition was easy, and through the years, she thrived in school. But in 1996, everything changed for Deanne. When she was about 15 years old, her father and I divorced. After that, she really turned. It's like something in her spirit broke. I had just joined the military and was going to be heading off to the Navy. We weren't used to change. You know, we'd been a real tight family unit, and um, so it was difficult. Deanne's father moved out, and Carson left for boot camp in Texas, leaving just Deanne and her mom in the house. But not for long. When Deanne was 17 years old, she showed up during her mom's lunch break with some big news. One day, she said, well, you know what I'm here for today. And I said, yeah, to have lunch. <laughs> she said, no, you know. And I had no idea. And, and she told me, she danced around it, and then finally told me that she was pregnant. Her son Hayden was born in July of 1998, and Deanne and her high school boyfriend worked tirelessly to be good parents. She lived with Hayden's daddy, and they had him there. She was a marvelous mom. She just loved him to pieces. But after several years of dating on and off, the couple ultimately called it quits. Deanne went through a really sad time, and she lived with me for a while. It was also around this time that Deanne began having what her family would refer to as episodes. Her behavior when she went into manic episodes was uh, very aggressive, violent in some cases. The language she used, uh, she would curse. Uh, she would say things intentionally to hurt people around her. And that was not Deanne. Uh, Deanne was not, not raised that way. She was not that person. She would have periods where I almost didn't recognize her. And I was afraid of what was happening to her. She would disappear for two or three days. And primarily she was doing that uh, because she didn't want people to see her like that. Sometimes she would come back and she would be Deanne and she would be bright and happy and lovely. And then other times, most of the time, she was very difficult. So it was, I just lost my best friend. I lost my daughter. And then when she would come out of the episode, she'd be absolutely drained and would sleep and then would apologize and feel embarrassed for everything that she did. In her mid-twenties, Deanne was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And despite many attempts at counseling and medication, she struggled to keep her mental illness at bay. When she had a manic episode, she couldn't be a mom. And fortunately for Hayden, he had a really good father. So we all talked and decided that Hayden would stay with his dad and Deanne would go to Texas to be with her brother. She had finished nurse's assistant school. She decided to come down and stay with me, try and get a fresh start going. The new surroundings helped. Deanne thrived in Texas. She met an individual named Brandy. He was also in the military down there with me. Absolutely fantastic guy. We loved him to death. Um, after about six to nine months of them dating, they moved in together. They decided to you know, get married, start a family, and uh, they had a daughter and a son. But Deanne's episodes eventually reemerged and took a toll on their marriage. She and Brandy divorced nine years later. So Brandy 
had discussed with my mother because he's deployable and he, you know, he's in the United States military, that we needed somebody to be there when he was not. And so the, the children and Deanne moved up with my mother. And while living with her mom, the episodes intensified. She eventually hit a point where she sought treatment and uh, went into Idaho into an inpatient treatment facility um, to get treated for her, her mental health issues. I was really relieved when she decided to go into a treatment program and get some help. When Deanne completed treatment, she moved to Spokane. Her youngest two stayed with Deanne's mother about an hour away, and teenage Hayden still lived with his father nearby. By November 2015, Deanne appeared to finally have her life back on track. She was working really hard with medications and with going to school to ultimately reach the goal of being capable of being able to take care of her kids on her own again and get them back. And she still had a really good relationship with all of them. And uh, that's what she wanted was to be with her kids. Hayden and I saw Deanne nearly almost every day. She'd stop by the high school. We'd go over for dinners all the time. She'd just always want us around. It was while living in Spokane, through common friends on Facebook, that Deanne met and fell for Mike Tibbetts. Within a couple days of meeting her, I knew she was the one. She started reaching out to me and telling me she's doing fantastic, um, uh, that life is going good, that she's in love, that they're going to get married. She got engaged, and she told me she was happy. On the morning of November 3rd, Deanne exudes that renewed sense of optimism as she prepares for the first day of her new life. She was spunky. She was ready to go. She was happy. And she was getting ready and running around, and she was excited. Deanne has a successful first day of school and spends the evening with Melanie. At around 9.30, Melanie heads home. She told me to get home safe. I texted her, actually, when I got home, and I actually got a response saying, thank you, okay, I love you, see you soon. Mike, a project manager for an HVAC company, comes home from work that night at 10 and finds an empty house. There was a note there saying that uh, she had a good day and she was uh, just got done doing nails and she was going to run to the store. When the clock hits 11.30, Mike becomes concerned. I drove over to the store and the store was closed and we lived less than five minutes away. So that's when I started getting worried about it a little bit. Three more hours pass and still no word from Deanne. So I tracked her phone. It was about 2.33 in the morning. I drove down, and I followed where it was saying the phone was. Mike tracks Deanne's phone to a parking lot across from a concert venue in a seedy area of town. I saw her car parked there. Mike knows Deanne must be close by. I called the phone. She always had her phone with her. As soon as it rings, he realizes something alarming. Her cell along with her purse, is locked inside the car, and Deanne is nowhere in sight. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. On Tuesday evening, November 3rd, 35-year-old Deanne Hastings leaves a note for her fiancé, Mike, that she's going to the store and never returns home. At 3 a.m. the next morning, Wednesday, Mike tracks down her car. I didn't have any keys. I couldn't get in the car, so I just waited by the car all night. And then the next day at about 7.30, 8 o'clock, I called to school to see if maybe she made it to school. The owner informs him that Deanne never showed up for her second day of cosmetology school. He offers to help him make missing persons flyers, and Mike takes him up on it. Me and a couple other people went around and put missing person pictures up in stores and gas stations and bars and everywhere. And at 12.30, he gets his first lead. I got an alert showing that the credit card was used at a grocery store in Cheney. Though she appears to have just made a purchase at a store four miles away, Mike stays at the car. Mike told me that he stayed with Deanne's car because he figured she was coming back for the car at that time. With her purse and phone inside the vehicle, he assumes it will be her next stop. It's a decision he would later regret. When she used that credit card, I should have went to the store instead of waiting by her car. Deanne never returns to her car. 
A few hours later, Mike drives to the store to see if he can dig up any information. As I walked up to the store, there was one of the employees standing outside, and I gave him the flyer, and he said he recognized her, but it was probably somebody else. When Mike heads inside, he spots something that could possibly provide some much-needed answers. That's when I saw that the they had cameras there, so I asked the lady if I was able to see it. She said I had to wait and speak with the manager there. So I called the next day, and he said I could come in that Saturday and look through it. The next morning, Thursday the 5th, it had been a full 36 hours since Deanne left the note. With her car abandoned and her person phone locked inside, this wasn't like her previous disappearances. In her past, she would leave for a couple days or different times like that. She would respond here and there to texts and stuff. At 10.20 a.m., Mike calls the Spokane Police Department and reports his fiance missing. They just file it in and stuff, and they would give it to one of the detectives. In Spokane, you would be surprised about the number of missing person cases that we do have. The department says that because missing persons cases typically resolve on their own, they are lower priority. I think because of her past, um, they kind of pushed it off. Mike refrains from reaching out to all of Deanne's family, hoping she will turn up before he needs to alarm them. But he does rely on local media to get the word out. And it's through those news reports that Deanne's brother Carson learns of her disappearance. I was living in Texas at the time. It was one of my friends from back here in Spokane. And he had said, is your sister missing? My answer was, I don't think so. Everything was golden in her life. So he goes, well, check the news. I figured Deanne was having another manic episode. And that was my initial thought, that she'll be back in a day or two. Not everyone in Deanne's family is as optimistic. Carson called me and said, Mom, Deanne's missing. And instantly, something was different. It wasn't like, oh, she's just gone to take a break. It was, this is different. There's something different. I don't know what it is. It was like there was an earthquake going on. And I just knew there was something wrong. Though Deanne's gone off the grid before, she's always been completely upfront with her plans. From what Hayden has told me, his mom was very open to say, hey, things aren't going well for me. I'm going to be gone to try to work things through, just to let him know that she was okay. This time feels very different. She didn't call. She had left her phone, and Hayden had told me she never does that. On Saturday, four days since he last saw her, Mike returns to the grocery store. They provide him with the security footage from that Wednesday at 12.30, when Deanne's credit card was used at the store. He spots his fiancée immediately, but what he sees is alarming. She was just really disoriented. She kept turning around, looking over her shoulder, she bought a couple weird things, a couple little boxes of birthday candles, and she bought a pint of vodka. But friends and family soon learn what wasn't captured on the security tapes that day is even more disturbing. Just minutes before Deanne entered the grocery store that afternoon, several witnesses say they spotted her acting strangely in the parking lot and at the neighboring businesses. Somebody contacted me and let me know 
that they worked in the salon there at the grocery store where Deanne was, and Deanne had come in, and she kept calling the salon lady mommy. So, pardon me. So she was not well. Apparently, she told somebody there that she was drugged. A couple ladies, they had spent uh, like an hour or two with Deanne, and she didn't know who she was. She knew she didn't want to go home because they wanted to take her home. When she refused a ride home, they had called the emergency 911. At 12.23 that Wednesday afternoon, mere minutes before Deanne made her purchase in the store, Officer Davida Zinkgraf responded to the call for a welfare check. I got a call, said that it was a white female in her 20s, possibly under the influence of a drug or, or alcohol, and she was saying that she didn't know what happened, that she may have been beat up. By the time I got here, medics were on scene, and she was not wanting to talk with them. Tried to ask her name. She wouldn't tell me. I didn't see any indication that she had been assaulted. Made several attempts to try and engage her in in some conversation, and she just didn't want to engage with me, and she started to walk away towards the grocery store. Officer Zinkgraf observed her for nearly 30 minutes. After exiting the grocery store, Deanne walked through the parking lot toward a coffee shop near the highway. After she was there for a while, I pulled out. I slowly drove by her, observed her, and left. Deanne was, in my mind, she was, like she said, she was either drugged and something happened and she was out of her mind, or she was having a manic episode. Um, And either way, she needed help. And so it was very uh, frustrating to me to find out that people had tried to get her help and the help that showed up did not stick around. We don't have a public intoxication law here uh, in Spokane. And since she seemed to be able to take care of herself, I didn't have a lawful reason to detain her. The reports on Deanne's behavior raise more questions than answers. On Sunday, five days after he last saw her, Mike gets an unsettling call. It's a man who says he's seen Deanne's missing person poster, and he says something else. He was with Deanne the night she disappeared. Thirty-five-year-old mom Deanne Hastings was last seen Wednesday afternoon, November 4, 2015, behaving erratically in the parking lot of a Spokane grocery store. Her fiancé, Mike, has been tirelessly searching for her for nearly a week. I searched every morning and every night. I would work from noon till 10, and then I would drive around and look for her until late hours in the morning. At 6 a.m. on Sunday, he gets an unexpected call. It's the employee from the grocery store whom he'd shown the missing persons poster to several days earlier. He says he has information about Deanne. They set a time to meet a few hours later. That Sunday morning, it was probably about 10, 30, 11. I had my sister with me, and that's when I met him. He was very not impressive at all. According to Mike, the grocery store employee said he first met Deanne the night of her disappearance in front of a bar a few blocks from where her car was parked. He had met her and given her a cigarette and then 
they left and they went to hang out and drink and, and stuff. He just thought he met this nice gal on the street outside a club, and he admitted that not only were they drinking, they were smoking marijuana. Obviously, I asked him if he had gotten together with her or anything like that. He said that he didn't, that he had a girlfriend and all those things. I just didn't believe him. He just didn't, I don't know, something about him. The employee says they spent the night at his apartment and the next morning drove to the grocery store where he works. He said that he was going into the store to buy some cigarettes and left Deanne in his uh, vehicle. When he returned, she was gone. He reportedly circled the lot a few times looking for Deanne. He said he just kind of briefly looked in that immediate surrounding area, couldn't find her, so he went home. Security footage would reveal Deanne walking into the same grocery store a few hours later. The employee then hands over evidence that supports the story that he's been with Deanne. The gentleman provided Mike with the keys that he had found in his car that morning. The keys are Deanne's. With them, Mike is finally able to remove her car from the lot and retrieve her phone and purse. According to Mike, there are no unusual texts or messages on her phone. The meeting with the employee leaves Mike feeling unsettled. That night, me and a couple people went up to his house because I just didn't believe him. And he let me go through his whole house and search for her in there and stuff. And she wasn't in there. And Monday morning, four days after Mike filed the missing persons report, the police begin their investigation. The case is assigned to Detective Jeff Barrington, a seasoned cop with almost three decades of experience, he immediately scrutinizes Deanne's cell phone history. I obtained cell phone records to include uh, call detail records, to include uh, incoming, outgoing calls, text messages, and uh, cell tower information. And there was no suspicious activity. Her last outgoing text was to her son Hayden around 10 p.m., letting him know that she went to school that day and hoped he was proud of her. A few days later, the detective gets his first lead. There are hits on Deanne's credit cards from November 7th to November 12th, almost a week after her purchase at the grocery store. There's convenience stores, pharmacy stores, and grocery stores throughout the Spokane and, and Spokane Valley areas. And after obtaining surveillance videos, we were able to identify the individual that was primarily responsible for passing those cards. The person on the footage using the cards was clearly not Deanne. Barrington sets to work to find out who it is. The uh, surveillance photos were obtained and still photos were released to Facebook. All the local news stations, the newspaper. Calls immediately roll in. Within one hour, we learned that it was uh, an individual uh, known as Randy Riley. Randy Riley was in the system. He had a minor criminal record. He was more or less living off and on on the streets. He was believed to be a drug user. But finding Riley won't be easy. He's just been evicted from his last known residence. Meanwhile, during those initial harrowing days, each family member copes in their own way. Carson becomes the family point person for the police, as Deanne's mother continues to care for her grandchildren. I couldn't drop everything. And I didn't want the kids to be affected. I couldn't get involved. I, I had to stay here. I felt like I had to keep 
strong, like I was going to just force the foundation under my feet to be still. And then I would just talk to Carson and he would give me updates and information whenever I could handle it. <laughs> Sometimes I would talk to him on the phone and say, yeah, I can't, you can't tell me anything today, you know. And another time I'd said, okay, I think I can hear something. You can tell me something now. On November 25th, Detective Barrington gets an intriguing tip. The landlord from Riley's most recent apartment says she remembered seeing him three weeks earlier on the afternoon of Wednesday the 4th, walking with another man and a woman. And having seen the various news reports, she's able to identify the woman as Deanne Hastings. This new information helps Barrington piece together what happened to Deanne after she left the grocery store. She had walked to a nearby storage facility that was just within about a two-block radius of the grocery store and strip mall. And at that time, she had met up with two gentlemen. Barrington locates security footage of the trio entering the storage unit and leaving around 1.30 p.m. The landlord spots them about an hour later. She specifically remembered Deanne lying on the ground and kind of being maybe intoxicated or disoriented at that time. Another neighbor verifies the story. This lady that lived there had pulled up and she had, you know, are you okay? And she said that Deanne had responded uh, that she was having these problems, that she was going through a divorce. And then she figured she was okay based on the fact that she was coherent enough and she was talking to her, so she went about her way and went home. For Deanne's loved ones, it's a second missed opportunity to get Deanne the help she needed and potentially prevent this nightmare from unfolding. She saw so many people that have come forward and said, oh, we saw her here, we saw her here, we saw her here. Then from there, where'd she go, you know? Um. The very same day Barrington learned that Deanne had been spotted with Randy Riley, he gets a lead on his whereabouts. He was discovered to currently be living at his mother's residence in the Spokane Valley with a uh, girlfriend. Riley's mother points Barrington in the direction of a restaurant in the valley that Riley frequents. Hopeful that he can finally get some answers, Barrington heads straight over. And as luck would have it, Riley is there. Almost three weeks have passed since Deanne Hastings went missing and Spokane detective Jeff Barrington believes he now has a solid lead. He's finally tracked down Randy Riley, one of the last known people Deanne was seen with before she went missing. Riley was also identified in security footage using her credit cards a week later. On November 25th, Barrington questions Riley. He admitted that was him on the surveillance photos and he admitted to using her card Riley says he had a legitimate reason for having Deanne's cards. He said that he and his friend James met Deanne that day and they had hung out, in, in his words, that uh, afternoon. Riley says the three drank vodka and Deanne was intoxicated. And Randy Riley said that Deanne gave him her credit cards. His statement was that Deanne told him, here, take my cards and go get yourself something to eat. Detective Barrington is skeptical of the credit card story. On December 10th, Riley is arrested for second-degree identity theft and brought in for further questioning. This time, he tells a different story. How did you get the credit cards and her identification cards? 
out of the jacket that was left on the side of the road. He said that the next day they were driving to their storage unit and they saw her coat on the side of the road and went and got the coat and then found the wallet inside. Riley pleads guilty to second-degree theft and second-degree possession of stolen property charges, but denies any involvement in Deanne's disappearance. Because I don't know what happened to her. I don't know anything about where or what happened to her. The only thing I can tell you is the last place I saw her alive and well. In the meantime, Detective Barrington sits down with the other man Deanne was spotted with that day. James knew nothing about how Riley acquired her credit cards. He provides the same statements that they had met near the storage unit that they walked along Inland Empire Way. James also provides some details about Deanne's state that her fiance Mike finds troubling. James said, apparently, that she went up into a bush to go to the bathroom. And then he went up there and she went to leave. And then Randy went up there and was up there for a few minutes. And then he came down and she never came down behind him. Riley's interrogation corroborates that he was up the hill with Deanne, but he maintains she came back down. And then they left. You know what happened, Randy. I don't. All right? The only thing I know is it was on the side of the road, and that's... I should have went back and checked on her and not left on the side of the road. I should have at least got her to the free gas theater, the store or something, so that she was with somebody. After speaking with Riley and James, Barrington pinpoints the spot where they both said they and Deanne went their separate ways. The location is especially heartbreaking for her family. The area where Deanne was claimed to have been left is probably 300 yards from her house up a hill. She was so close to home when they said that they left her. Barrington sets up a search of the region. We searched the areas with cadaver dogs to no avail. We searched it on foot. Uh, We searched it from the air with a helicopter and uh, the uh, heat sensor. We never found any clothing items, no credit cards, no items connected to her whatsoever. As the Randy Riley lead becomes a dead end, Detective Barrington turns his attention to Deanne's fiancé, Mike. A few things don't sit right with him. I asked for Deanne's cell phone several times. He never provided it. I asked for the note that he claimed that she had left for him uh, that night of November 3rd prior to him returning home from work, and he never provided me with the note. Mike says the note was the last thing Deanne wrote to him, and the phone had photos and messages he wanted to keep. He didn't trust that if he turned them over, he'd get them back. Detective Barrington digs in on Deanne's relationship with Mike and starts to hear what he believes are some disturbing rumblings. According to Amanda, Deanne and Mike were having some personal relationship problems that uh, we weren't aware of and that Mike really didn't seem to be totally aware of either. We got along great. I think we had one argument about wheat bread and white bread, which one to buy. I mean, other than that, we we rarely ever fought. I never saw them fight. I heard about them, though. Deanne would text me 
and say, I need you to come over, I have a new gel set, which was kind of our girl code for we need to talk about something that has happened. You know, I wasn't there, so I don't know, but I just know what she was saying to me through phone calls and texts. And Amanda says Deanne shared something very personal about her relationship. She was trying to leave him for a number of weeks. Amanda provides Detective Barrington with what she considers to be alarming texts. There was uh, text messages between Deanne and Amanda where Deanne was letting Amanda know that she believed that she was drugged one night with uh, Mike. She thought he had drugged her, so she had actually went to the doctor. So, I mean, you know, I look at that and I just, you know, I just wonder, like, it's no coincidence. Or is it? According to Amanda, the doctor's response to Deanne's accusation tells another side of the story. She said the doctors told her she was crazy. (laughs) So she said, but at least it's on record that I went there in case anything happens. Mike denies any involvement in Deanne's disappearance and maintains they weren't having relationship problems. And though he says he wasn't aware of the texts, he describes her as becoming increasingly paranoid in the weeks leading up to her disappearance. She was hearing voices and was convinced that someone was breaking into their home and drugging the water supply. According to Mike, Deanne pointed fingers at the neighbors as well as an ex-boyfriend whom she was certain was trying to kill her. She even asked Mike at one point if he was conspiring with them. Mike says the episodes would last about two hours and then she would snap back to her normal self. She would obviously pretend she was more happy than she was feeling inside, fighting with the things that she was fighting with. Deanne's loved ones believe they know what might have been causing the change in her behavior. Just prior to her going missing, the insurance decided they were not going to cover her specific bipolar medication that she needed and that they wanted to give her something else. Because of her insurance problems, uh, she hadn't been on the medication that she was actually prescribed uh, for about a month, six weeks. She fought it. Uh, She even went to her doctor and got a note that says, this is what she has to be on. We've already tried this medication. And the insurance company denied it again. So we called them and said that I would just pay for it for, I would pay for cash for it then uh, so she could have that, the specific one. And they had told her that if I was to do that, then they would drop her from insurance. So she was denied her medication and then shortly thereafter disappears. I think it could have been a very real possibility to her entering a manic state. And when she enters a manic state, anything's possible. As weeks turn into months, there's still no word from Deanne. And at one point after, you know, it's Christmas has come and gone and we know we haven't heard from her and she hasn't called her children and that's not Deanne. And so it was at that point that I began to accept, you know, that something really terrible had happened, you know. And, um, yeah. And then, in late January 2016, over two months since Deanne went missing, Amanda gets an unexpected message on Facebook. It's from one of the last known people reported to have seen Deanne, Randy Riley's friend, James. He's frantic to speak to someone in Deanne's family. At that point, he said he would talk to anybody and tell them anything they wanted to know.
Three months after the disappearance of her close friend, Deanne Hastings, Amanda Ladd receives a surprising message. I got a message from the Missing Deanne Facebook page um, that this person named James, who had also walked with her that day, wanted to speak with someone um, about her. Amanda repeatedly tries to call James's phone number. I finally did speak with him, and he was pretty distraught. According to Amanda, once they connect, she learns the reason James has been trying to reach them. He said he would talk to anybody and tell them anything they wanted to know. I called him on the phone, and um, it was a very confrontational conversation. I was very hostile from the get-go. So we snapped back at each other a few times, and then we calmed down, and I said, tell me what happened. Carson says that James reiterates the same story he's told all along. He said at that time that Randy went into the bushes. And he said Randy was back there for about 10 minutes. And uh, he claims he doesn't know Randy very well. He doesn't know what happened back there. As he did with the police, James denies any involvement with her disappearance. James had said that I can't believe she did not make it home. She said she was going home. She was going to walk up the hill. She was so close to home. I can't believe she didn't make it home. It's yet another dead end for Deanne's grieving loved ones. On February 27th, 2016, Deanne's 36th birthday, Amanda organizes a search party. If you're going to do two areas, just like check in when you go from the one area to the other area. We um, searched the area that they walked. Um, and quite a lot of people came out, a lot of high school friends. I'd basically searched the same areas that I had already been to 10 times. I didn't take part in the search. I didn't want to be there if they found anything. So I wasn't hopeful. Nothing really came out of the search other than um, just to make it known that we were still looking for her and that, you know, we're not going to let it go. Detective Barrington continues to work the confounding case. Within the last several months, I'd learned that uh, Mike was no longer living at the residence. And so we went there with cadaver dogs. To no avail, we didn't locate anything suspicious. Barrington keeps an eye on everyone who had contact with Deanne before she disappeared. He learned some information about the grocery store employee who said he'd spent the night with Deanne just before she vanished. Shortly thereafter, though, he quit his job there at the store and he moved uh, to Florida. I thought it was kind of strange, especially following the circumstances. The fact that he leaves the Spokane area, and again, I don't know uh, why, but his claim was that he was just uh, not making it here and wanted to go back uh, to where he's from. And as for Randy Riley, on March 11, 2016, he's sentenced to just under 13 months in prison for the theft and possession of the credit cards. I still uh, keep track of him. I'll search his name in our databases, along with James, along with Mike, to see if there's any uh, recent contacts or incidents. I'll study their, their lives on Facebook periodically just to kind of see what's going on. Deanne's loved ones don't give up either. Mike continues to search and says he copes by imagining that Deanne left of her own accord. I hope she just 
wanted a different life and she's somewhere happy. Carson's hope is simple. I just want her to let us know she's okay. If you're alive and well somewhere, just let somebody know. You can stay there. You could live your life there. But just tell us that you're okay. And that's all we want. And Deanne's mom tries to get by by doing what she thinks Deanne would have wanted. I feel like I have been strong and I have done something good to help her by taking care of the younger children and by being here for Hayden. And I agreed to do this interview in the hopes that it would bring some attention and some focus to the need for better mental health care in this country. Because I'm the mom and I tried everything that I thought that I could try. I did everything, I talked to everybody, I did research like crazy. And there was nothing I could do to contain my daughter, to protect her from herself, to protect her from her illness. A little more than a year after Deanne's disappearance, 18-year-old Hayden joins the army and heads to basic training in Georgia. But before he leaves, the family unites for a celebration. Me and Hayden got married on December 2nd of 2016 here in Newport at the small church that the family attends. It was all in gold and silver and beautiful, and it couldn't have been a nicer ceremony. And I noticed that someone had lit a candle, and I knew that meant she was with us. For the family, it's a bittersweet evening, full of joy and heartache. The first time I met her, she was like, you guys are going to be married, you're going to be my daughter. And so she would have been so happy to hear that it actually had happened. She's always been a mom to me and a mom to all of her kids. And we just really want her back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. 